Welcome to Liberty Chats, produced by members of the Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. Thank you for joining us. We talk to a variety of experts, leaders, journalists, and policymakers about our nation's founding principles, why they are still so relevant and essential to preserving freedom for everyone, what specific challenges and threats they face today, and how those founding principles best safeguard and empower everyone's ability, young and old, to attain prosperity and personal happiness. Hello, welcome to Liberty Chats. My name is Anastasia and I'm a member of Steamboat Institute's Emerging Leaders Council. The Steamboat Institute is a conservative organization dedicated to promoting the values of freedom, liberty, and civil dialogue. Today, our guest is Grace Marie Turner with the Galen Institute. The Galen Institute is a nonprofit policy research organization devoted to advancing ideas and policies to create a vibrant and patient-centered patient-centered health sector. Uh, Grace Marie, glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Anastasia, and proud to be with you on Liberty Chats. I'm also on the board of the Steamboat, Steamboat Institute, so it's really a pleasure to be with you today. And so maybe before we jump into some some of the meat of the conversation, Grace Marie, could you sort of define for our audience what we mean when we say health and healthcare system and policy? What what sort of falls underneath that umbrella and the work that you do with the Galen Institute? We could spend a number of podcasts on that. It, it represents nearly one-fifth of the U.S. economy and health spending. About half of that is spent through public programs and about half through private uh, health insurance, primarily through employer insurance. And, of course, um, under that umbrella, under the public umbrella, are Medicare, Medicaid, the Children's Health Insurance Program, Obamacare, a number of public programs. Our advocacy at the Galen Institute is for a free market in the health sector that gives people more choices and that puts doctors and patients rather than government bureaucrats in charge of health care decisions. So that's been and has continued to be our mission for 25 years at the Galen Institute. What a phenomenal mission. Can you can we dive a little bit deeper into into sort of that idea of of freedom and health freedom? Certainly we've seen um a very vibrant conversation around that topic in in the past few years. And so what does it what what are what does it really look like um to, to have health freedom and what decisions would patients, their providers, um, and the health system overall have if we had um, a, a freer and open healthcare system. Well, let's just start with the most recent program that created by government, and that's the Affordable Care Act, sometimes known as Obamacare, that was created just about um, that was created about 12 years ago, but the first policy sold eight years ago. Since that time, insurance in the individual market, insurance premiums have doubled, and yet patients face very narrow networks. If you live in Texas or places, uh, states where they have major medical centers like the MD Anderson Cancer Treatment Center, you can't go there. Your, hair, your health insurance doesn't cover it. So people find their health insurance is very expensive. They have deductibles that can be six, seven, eight thousand dollars a year. 
people say they might as well not have health insurance because they can't even afford the deductible, and yet they have um, very narrow networks of doctors. If people had access to a more competitive market that was trying to provide them with choices of health insurance that worked for them and for their families, they would have many more options. And as in most things where competition is really engaged, people would have more choices. And so that's really what we try to do is to give people more options of private health insurance that fits their needs and the needs of families rather than having bureaucrats in Washington structure those policies and tell them what they must have. It's really a sort of a take it or leave it system right now. And that's true also with Medicaid. Medicaid is the program that was designed in 1965 for lower income Americans. And it's grown now to cover 90 million Americans. The program is bloated. It pays doctors often so little that that people can't find a physician to see them. They can't, especially a specialist, and they wind up going to hospital emergency rooms where eventually they'll be seen. But that's not the way to get health insurance. We want people, even on public programs, to have the dignity of private health insurance and to have the dignity of choices of coverage that fits the needs of their family. That's not how government programs work. And so who's currently benefiting from the way things are and who would benefit under under a different model of care where we would have more options? Well, everybody would benefit, and I think particularly the people would benefit would be those that are stuck onto government programs and really don't have any other options. If you're on Medicaid, it's take it or leave it. And I, I have a physician friend one time who told me that he does his best to accept Medicaid patients, even though the program pays way below market prices and way below his costs. And he treated a patient that had pretty significant lung issues. The Ordinarily, he would have been paid $750 for that course of treatment if it were a private carrier. When he finally got the check from Medicaid, he got a check for six cents. And he said, you know, it's no wonder that people can't take as many Medicaid patients as we would like to take because we can't keep our doors open with a six-cent payment. And, of course, they went through, you know, days and days, maybe weeks of paperwork with the Medicaid program to get the six-cent check. So these programs really are not working. What happens is that people become dependent upon them. These entitlement programs where people are entitled if they meet certain considerations certain quite criteria to to get on the program, they at some point don't see other options. And and actually options can dry up in the private marketplace because people can't compete with government. When government sees problems with the program, all it does is pour more money into it. It doesn't fix it. Medicaid is a dreadful program with as, as up to a third of the spending either being fraudulent or wasteful. And it's not it's not sustainable, and they just keep Democrats just keep putting more and more money into the program instead of saying we need to repair this. And I think that should we have a new Congress in the uh, new session that really has different perspective, I think addressing the problems in public programs is a top priority. 
and giving people more options of private coverage. And we actually have a plan to do that. It's called American Healthcare Choices. People can look us up at AmericanHealthCareChoices2020.org to see a good plan that, that restores freedom, transparency of prices, many more choices, and, and devolves power away from Washington, ultimately to doctors and patients, by, but by giving states more authority to to regulate the health insurance market. The federal government is just completely out of its element in doing that. Fantastic. Thank you for that very, very thorough answer. And it kind of resonates with um, a lot of the reading that I've seen around um, having a competitive market also allows for more diversity of choices. And so finding care that's specific to you, whether medically or social and culturally, is far more available on on um, within a freer market, I suppose I should say. Well, and to that point, with Obamacare, it, it's, you know, the plan is designed in Washington. Plans, in order to qualify to sell Obamacare policies, the plans have to have a very specific list of what's covered and how much what's covered under what circumstances. And yet, there aren't any specialized plans. So that if you have diabetes or heart condition and you really need specialty care, they can't specialize. And that's what people need. If you've got a chronic health care condition, you want to go to somebody who really knows how to treat that condition, focuses on it. They've got the network of physicians and hospitals and clinics and other treatment um, to, to make sure you get the care you need. That's not allowed under Obamacare. And that's what we need is more the ability of people to pick plans that meet their needs rather than Washington trying to design a one-size-fits-all plan, which ultimately it's a one-size-fits-none because nobody's really happy with it. Yeah, it seems like it's the the least equitable option for, for most parties. It doesn't lead to the health outcomes, certainly, that I think individuals want for themselves or we as a society strive to achieve. Uh, I'd like to kind of bring us out maybe a little bit to the 30,000 foot view as we as we talk about health care and health systems. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't touch on COVID and the impact that that really had on the healthcare sector and sort of the the perceived trust of of Americans in that. Do do you have any um, thoughts or insights with uh, your experience on how COVID has impacted sort of our perception of freedom and medical choice uh, as well as trust in the system? Well, I think it has been very, very damaging, and it concerns me because I think that because so many bad decisions were made and so many, um, such a terrible effect of children who were at such low risk of COVID and schools being shut down for a year, year and a half, we already see how much learning was lost. We've seen people having lost their jobs because they didn't get the vaccines and now the companies are backing off and saying, well, you can come back to work because without the mandate, all the shifting, whether or not masks actually do any good or not, whether social distancing was really based on science, there were so many mistakes that were made and so many premature decisions in really a kind of a panicked atmosphere. And I think that it has significantly eroded the trust of Americans in their public health officials. And I, we're going to see a lot of, of hearings, I think, in the coming year with um, 
really about government's COVID response, and we need to have those hearings because we have to do better next time. It has eroded trust, it's, it's a, and people kept saying, follow the science. They didn't have the science behind this. Some of these vaccine trials were just uh, were, were done so quickly. Not the initial ones, but the more recent ones with just mice, not even people. And so you've got a lot of a lot of um, distrust of the system. We've got to reestablish trust. And really, when you say we're following the science, that doesn't mean that you just say a government official says what the science is. Is Tony Fauci did. We have to really make sure it's open for debate. It's um, we've got not only randomized controlled trials, but you really have peer-reviewed documents so that people are sure that all sides have been heard. That didn't happen the last time, and I think the country and the world really were harmed as a result. Yeah, we're seeing a, a lot of the fallout for, from the harm that that's caused. And so, if I were if I were an American and I'm I'm making some healthcare decisions for myself and maybe feel a little impacted by COVID, where where would you recommend that that I look or participate and in, in inform myself in, a, in an educated and meaningful way? Are there resources? I know you oh, mentioned a site I'm- earlier. Well, yeah, I think we should ask you that question, Anastasia. You're public, you have a public health background, and I think that's really a question a lot of Americans have is, where do you go for information we can trust? In California, they have, um, they have legislation that has recently been passed that basically shuts down doctors' own opinion. You can't have your own medical opinion. You must follow the government's edict on what you're allowed to say to your patients or not. That's horrible. We we need to put doctors back in the center of decisions and the medical profession, not public health officials. But I am. I, it's really hard right now to know what you can trust when you read because, as we've also learned, the tech industry was really in collusion with the government and trying to shut down debate. So that's, that is not healthy for an informed society. So I hear there's definitely space for, for some innovation for, for some of our, our liberty-minded and health-minded friends to, to step up and maybe create a, a place of trust where people might be able to go. Yeah, we need a free and open forum. Maybe Twitter will become our free and open forum once again where both sides can be heard. That's the way we get to, to, to truth is by having everybody be able to participate in a conversation, learn the facts from both sides, and then make informed decisions. It may not be one decision for everybody. You know, some children are going to need to be vaccinated. Some children may need to be isolated, but not all of them in order to protect a few. We need to we learned, for example, that we should have been prioritizing nursing homes and residents of nursing homes. That's what Governor DeSantis of Florida figured out right away and several other governors. And they were able to protect their economy and children and keep schools open because they focused on those who were most vulnerable and most likely to be exposed to the damages of, of COVID, but not to close down the whole country and the whole society to protect the most vulnerable. That's what was really so damaging and dangerous. And a fuller open conversation with with the evidence available to everybody, I think would have been made that experience not nearly as traumatic and harmful as it was to our country and to so many people. 
And now, Grace Marie, you've talked a little bit or at least alluded to spaces where there's the openness for public debate and education. Um, how does the Galen Institute help to, to facilitate those types of conversations? Can you speak a little bit um, to the specific work you do um, with the Institute? Yes, we're we're a think tank. Um, I don't know if people know what think tank is. Basically, um, one of my colleagues called us an idea factory. The people who who really study problems and trying to and try to figure out solutions that will solve them in a way that we believe that would allow the market to work better, that, that would allow information to flow, that would allow people to make better decisions for themselves. So we produce papers. I've testified before Congress countless times. We do a lot of writing and speaking and podcasts. And I uh, have a weekly newsletter I just finished doing with the Galen website. Everything is on our website. We're sort of a boutique think tank in that we focus just on health policy and particularly free market ideas in health policy. Others, like the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute, the Brookings Institution, deal with a broad range of issues. So what we try to do is come up with good ideas present them to the public, to policymakers, and then provide the evidence for the approach we're taking, or sometimes it's providing analysis of someone else's ideas to see whether or not those ideas would actually solve the problem. We were against Obamacare, for example, because we thought this is going to shut down the market for private health insurance. With competition, it's going to increase prices, and all of that happened. But we were not able to convince policymakers to not go that direction. I hope we will be, in the future, able to put us on a better track to free market ideas. So people can go to the Galen Institute, galen.org, to see all of our work. We were very actively engaged in the, in the COVID debate, and particularly because of the work of two of our senior fellows, Brian Blaze and Doug Badger, who did a lot of writing on this and have uh, even had much deeper experience in government to understand how decisions are made and how to really try to get everybody back on track. Phenomenal. Yeah, I was going to follow up and ask if there was a, a place where our listeners could get involved or learn more, but you, you've thoughtfully provided us with the website. And so thank you for that. We're nearing the end of our time together. And so I'm just going to wrap us up and say thank you for listening to Liberty Chats. Thank you, Grace Marie, for your time thank you uh, so much. On, on this busy day. And I hope to speak to you again soon. Wonderful. And I just hope everybody will be engaged. The health policy is an infinitely interesting field, and it really is a front in the battle for freedom. So I hope people will engage and join us, and I invite people to write to us through our website, sign up for our newsletter, or find uh, write to me at gracemarie at galen.org, and I'll be happy to engage you in the conversation. Grace Marie, G-R-A-C-E-M-A-R-I-E, at galen.org. Phenomenal. Thank you, Grace Marie. Thanks so much, Anastasia. Wanna be free, I wanna be free, wanna be free, yeah.